This podcast is for general information only. It is not intended as a substitute for general health care services. If you have medical conditions, you need to see your doctor. Use of this information is at the user's own risk. Welcome to FitRx with Dr. Greg Dennis. Join me as we challenge the standard sick model of healthcare. This is your source for everything health, wellness, prevention, fitness, biohacking, and more. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of FitRx. I'm your host, Dr. Greg Dennis. I um, always enjoy talking with like-minded people and uh, just getting ideas about nutrition and fitness and uh, ways to just improve our health. And so my next guest is Brandon Woolley. He is a health and nutrition expert and creator of Fire Within, where he helps people achieve their fitness goals. Uh, he also hosts uh, his own podcast uh, called The Fire Within Podcast, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, so, Brandon, welcome to the show. Thank you. All right. Well, so tell us just how you got into this field, how, how you got into health and fitness and then doing it, um, you know, as a service to, to others. Yeah. So I actually started as a middle and high school band director, which is quite a bit different. And back then I was 244 pounds and pre-diabetic and uh, wasn't, uh, wasn't enjoying my life. Um, I love teaching, I love the kids, uh, but I, I finally decided to make a change. Uh, lost 84 pounds, which I've kept off for 10 years now, and uh, changed every aspect of my life, and I was more passionate about that, and thought that I could make a bigger difference in the health and nutrition field. And uh, my first uh, intro was, uh, I was a runner at the time, which I don't recommend to most of my clients. Um, but um, got into marathons and I would train Marines for the running portion of their PT tests, um, you know, if they were lagging behind um, to, to make it new recruits. And um, that led to getting my CPT certs and nutrition certs and worked five years at Lifetime Fitness, ran the nutrition and blood work department there. And um, here we are now, 10 years later. All right. Well, I'm sure we'll get into your particular philosophy, uh, but tell us how you lost that much weight and how you've kept it off. And I'm sure there's a lot of overlap with what you, you now tell clients, but, but tell us how you did it. Green coffee bean extract. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so uh, I did loseit.com, tracking calories and also getting into running. Um, and the mixture of the two helped me get it off pretty quick. But it, what I realized later was uh, it didn't mean I was healthy. Uh, so I lost a ton of lean muscle tissue, um, and my body was not responding well. Uh, I was injured every single month uh, at the orthopedic, uh, shin splints, piriformis issues, ended up having surgery on my knee, ended up with permanent degeneration in my lower discs uh, from uh, this marathon training with improper biomechanics, uh, not eating well to support the demand I was putting on it. I was even hospitalized twice. Hmm. Um, so that's how not to do it. Um, and it was later on that I learned how to the sustainable way. Um, I cut out running, uh, hmm. after the surgery and, uh, kept it off for eight years without any cardio, just strength training and circuit training, um, as my main form of cardio. And it, it made a huge difference, okay. but some people can yeah. run and they're fine. I'm not against yeah, it. Yeah. 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 It's certainly, 
and people on this podcast have heard me say this before, I'm sure, but you know, running is, is better than doing nothing. I mean, if you're sitting on the couch, uh, unless I guess you're injury prone or something, but uh, I've ran marathons in the past and I mean, enjoyed it. I mean, I think everybody should do one in their life, but <laughs> yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. But, but if you're, you know, if your goal is to optimize health, then running would not be my first choice or, or yeah. probably second or third. Uh, so <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about, you know, maybe now that you've learned the proper ways to do it, but I'm curious to just uh, get an idea of, of the, how you flip the switch, because as a family practice physician, you know, I see people every day and, and, you know, I try and motivate them to want to get healthier and want to change their lives and every now and then I'll get somebody that just is, is ready to flip that switch and they're going to do, they're going to do everything you tell them and they're going to just, and they're going to be successful, <laughs> but most people, yeah. m- most people don't. Uh, so how did you get to that point where you were just like, all right, I'm, I'm ready. I'm going to do this. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's funny. I kind of reverse engineered and figured it out later, but, uh, before I got into it, you know, uh, everybody's heard of Simon Sinek, find your why, and that kind of stuff. I didn't understand the psychology behind all that, but what flipped the switch for me was my why. My, my family had a history of heart disease. Both sides of my dad's family uh, and my mom's family, both sides had had heart disease. I never met either of my dad's grandparents. They both died before he was 14 of heart disease. Uh, my mom had a heart attack, um, just... Uh, all four of my family members had, um, you know, bipolar issues, but institutionalized, medicated, all these different things. And I saw that I was heading down that path. Two deal breakers were, there's a specific picture of me on social media and I could not believe how big I'd gotten. And the seatbelt was cutting into me. And then I saw that number on the scale, 244 pounds. And uh, I decided that this can't be my life. I don't want to go down that path. And um, so I was able to compare every decision I made from then on to that, why I wanted to change my family legacy and not going down that path. Well, very good. Well, so talk to us about the fire within approach to nutrition and exercise. So you said you, you don't really recommend the way you did it. So uh, now what do you advise people when they come to you? Like what's, what's the right way to do it? Yeah. So I think the right way to do it is a sustainable approach. I don't think a drastic overhaul all at once is sustainable. I've worked with over 3000 clients and it's never worked once. Um, So I like to make those decisions based off of hormones specific to the person. Um, And I do have a quiz on my website, firewithinnf.com that asks you 56 true or false questions and it'll give you a score in seven categories of hormonal health and, and food health um, that can help you pinpoint where to start. Um, so for instance, uh, we hear all the time, exercise more, eat less. Well, if you have adrenal fatigue and your thyroid's off, you could be exacerbating those issues and slowing down your metabolism more. Um, so not everybody should be doing the same thing or the same approach. Um, I do believe that there are constants in the food world, but I also don't think we should be dogmatic um, and exclusive. Um, I think for most everybody with any kind of nutrition goal, minimizing, maybe not eliminating, but minimizing the intake of what I call the no-go list, wheat, grain, corn, 
soy, dairy, alcohol, and sugar, as well as other endocrine disruptors like artificial sugars like, um, you know, sucralose, aspartame, saccharin, and things like that. Um, but those are the general principles around eating. And if you do have some of those items, finding better ways to prepare them, such as pressure cooking your grains, fermenting things, uh, so that it has a better impact on your specific body. So I, I want to go through those, spend a little bit more time on that, because um, you have a, a basically your health health transformation course, and and you you have the the no go list, which again I want to spend a little bit more time on. But I want to ask you about the kind of the um, the hormone approach that that you're able to assess on your website. Now that's a lot of what I do. I mean, we're kind of, I, I, I consider us hormone experts. So we do a lot of hormone replacement therapy. And of course we do a lot of thyroid and stuff like that, but as it pertains to weight loss, how are you able to kind of figure out what the patient has and, and then how do you use that to determine which way they should go? T tell us a little bit more about that if you would. Sure. Um, now I want to be, um, I have to stay within my scope of practice. This assessment isn't going to tell you if your thyroid's high or low or anything like that, right, right, right. Uh, but it's, it's going to show patterns that can suggest uh, what could be the issue. Like one of the seven sections is stress and sleep. Um, and so if stress and sleep's up, we know cortisol, norepinephrine, adrenaline, uh, insulin is going to be hugely tied in with that. Your, mm -hmm. your brain's ability to uh, clear out amyloid beta plaque during the glymphatic cycle at night could be um, also at, at stake there. Uh, we know that insulin rises if you stayed up too late. Uh, we also know that when you lack proper sleep at night, vitamin D levels, which are precursors to serotonin, which are precursors to melatonin are all affected. Um, so if somebody scored really low in that stress and sleep section, uh, there's probably a good chance that uh, all of those hormones aren't optimal, uh, including testosterone, which is also um, hugely affected by sleep. Uh, I know a lot of men with ED, it might be a, you know, a vegetable oil and a sleep issue, um, but, but it can also affect the building blocks of testosterone and things like zinc can help. But um, uh, I'm sorry, remind me of your original question. How, uh, yeah, I think you answered it. I just wanted you yeah. to elaborate a little bit more on, on those um, kind of hormonal assessments that you have. So yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think you answered yeah. that. Now I did spend a number of years uh, running, the, running a blood work uh, portion of, of Lifetime Fitness's nutrition program, which is really cool. So we offered comprehensive lab testing and uh, we'd send off the, the you know, Quest Diagnostics or LabCorp. And then we'd get on a call with a dietitian and we'd be able to see how their blood markers were changing as we implemented different habits. Um, so part of my approach is based off of the hundreds of times I got to see that happen and what was most effective as well. So it, it sounds like that you have a good understanding of, of, of the importance of all those. You mentioned insulin and, you know, I've preached a lot of times. I mean, I think insulin and I, and I check fasting insulin levels, which I believe every practitioner should, but they don't, but that I'm still preaching that message. Um, but insulin is a, is a huge uh, player in not only weight, but just overall health. Uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm curious as you're, kind of determining some of these things, whether it be stress, lack of insulin, or you may come up with something, say, Hey, you need to get your testosterone checked. You need to get your thyroid checked. Are you getting any kickback from providers 
you know, where, where maybe some of your clients go to the providers and they say, well, they don't, they don't want to check that. Or um, just because I've found, and all my listeners know this, that I'm not a typical provider because I've, I'm just kind of fed up with the standard of care. And so the standard of care, a lot of times doesn't diagnose. I mean, they don't even recognize adrenal fatigue. Um, and so I'm, I'm curious, do, do you ever get any kind of kickback from maybe what, what you recommend if you say, hey, you need to go get these checked? I know a lot of the providers won't check the same markers. Uh, like I have one client's trying to get their doctor to check T3. Mm -hmm. They'll check TSH and T4, but not T3. And I don't know why. Um, you know, I, I guess different uh, physicians have different things that based on what they were told. Uh, but I do like to, the holistic approach, the integrative approach where we're looking at optimal health. Sure. Um you know, not just normal, because if everybody's doing it wrong, guess what? That's normal. <laughs> so, so I'm not right, interested yeah. in the normal ranges. Um, but I haven't had any, you know, other, other than, hey, this isn't included in our normal pattern uh, panel. But if they ask, typically their doctor will, will run, run something else. Gotcha. Um, yeah. Okay. yeah. And then I work with some functional doctors as well. And most of my clients, I refer to that. If oh, good. Possible. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's, let's kind of walk through your transformation course. And then I think that would, would give us a good idea of um, just how you approach things. So the first thing is understanding epigenetics. And uh, again, I've mentioned this on the podcast, but um, give us a refresher on just, you know, what epigenetics is and what you tell your clients regarding that. Yeah. So in layman's terms, it means above genetics. That's literally what it means. And what we've discovered is that our DNA is coded with a protein structure that interacts with its environment. And I'm taking the Dr. Bruce Lipton definition here. And um, when our environment encourages uh, that protein structure to signal that gene to turn on, it will. So for instance, let's say you're predisposed to type two diabetes, dementia, Alzheimer's, those types of things. Well, we know that epigenetic lifestyle factors that can turn that gene on are gonna to be tons of sugar and not sleeping. Uh, potentially also too much vegetable oil, um, you know, canola oil, soybean oil, things like that um, for various reasons. Um, so just cause you're predisposed to something, it doesn't mean that gene has to turn on. But if you put that gene in an environment again and again, uh, then yes, it absolutely could. Yeah. And I think that's a great place to start because I, and I have this conversation a lot in my clinic in that people need to know that that's not their fate. Their family history is not their fate. And I mean, you're absolutely right. If, uh, if you give something the right environment, then yeah, it's going to turn on. And unfortunately, you know, the environment that we live in, you know, is going to turn on all this bad stuff. And so you have to learn to um, kind of make sometimes go against the grain and not eat the quote, normal, normal standard American diet and, and do all those things. And you're absolutely right. If you do all these things, then yeah, you, you may not get diabetes, even though it runs in your family, you may not get Alzheimer's disease. So, so you mentioned this a, a minute ago, but the next thing is the no-go list. Uh, and so you, you've mentioned some of that vegetable oils. So talk, uh, talk a little bit more about some of those and maybe why they're bad. Sure. Um, so let's start with wheat grain and corn. Um, you know, there's all kinds of books and things that came out, grain brain, this, that, and the other. I think, I think Dr. Gundry is probably a respected expert at that. And when I go and look at the medical studies and who funded them, <laughs> you know, is there a potential for bias? 
Um, when I look at the wheat grain and corn data, uh, it's not being funded by Kellogg's and things like that. So, so it, it seems to be pretty legit that most people, not everybody, do better without it. And the, the concern is a protein called lectin, uh, spelled different than lecithin that we see on a lot of nutrition labels. And this le lectin protein is known as a hormone mimicker, particularly mimicking insulin. What insulin would typically do to a cell once it's full of glucose or sugar is shut off the ability for more to get in it. That lectin protein pretends it's insulin, but it's going to allow the sugar to continue to spill out into the bloodstream. And it's typically stored as fat in the liver or fat as adipose tissue as that uh, spills out. Um, now there's also uh, thought that this lectin protein can travel up the vagus nerve to the brain and contribute to Alzheimer's dementia and difficulty for neurons to, to communicate with each other. Um, and also it, this all is going to start in the, in the gut, the small intestines, they blast holes just like uh, gluten or another harmful protein might. Uh, so for most of my clients who are struggling to see change, I think it's worth minimizing or preparing differently the grains they do uh, include in their diet. I don't think most people, it's practical to say never have them. Uh, and some people, they may do just fine with it. I think every individual on the planet um, has different things that'll work for them. But in general, that seems to be a big one. Okay. And then next you have sugar. I mean, obviously nah. everybody everybody knows that sugar is probably not good for you, but uh, what, what do you uh, tell your clients about sugar? Yeah. So I like to take, uh, and this is rough, but you know, if you look at the carbohydrates, about every four grams of carbohydrate can be equivalent to one teaspoon of table sugar. Um, so sugar isn't just listed cane sugar as problematic. Uh, you see juicy juice. It says 100% real juice, no sugar added. It doesn't need any sugar added because it's all sugar just in the form of fructose. Mm. So there's so many different forms of it. Um, I do a demonstration with a bottle of, uh, we'll call it Fountain Foo and um, a, a so popular soda. And I'll take the carbohydrate and show them in teaspoons, how many teaspoons of sugar with a bag of sugar in a cup. And it's 19 and a half teaspoons. And nobody in their right mind would knowingly grab a bag of sugar, mm. put 19 and a half, almost 20 scoops of sugar in something and drink it. But oftentimes that's what we see with, with sodas and things like that. So first I try and get out uh, fructose and, high, um, and then uh, corn syrup and high fructose corn syrup. Um, I don't mind natural fruits whole and occasionally doing something like coconut water, or if you want an occasional mimosa and you get some orange juice, you know, that's life. But, um, you know, starting every single day with a tall glass of OJ is this, the equivalent of just packing on teaspoons of sugar and flooding the gut, causing IBS and all kinds of other issues. Um, so I think uh, Dr. Paul Gruel and Dr. Max Lugavere probably have the most poignant um, analogy I've ever heard on, on sugar in America. And um, they talk about foie gras. And, um, it, you know, in, in Europe, it's where they take, um, I guess, ducks and they're trapped in cages where they can't move and they're force fed wheat grain and corn, uh, which causes their fat, their liver to rapidly expand with fat. Sometimes organs rupture um, and eventually can kill them for that delicacy. Um, one in two Americans are thought to have non-alcoholic fatty livers disease um, within the next 10 years, which is alarming. Um, and, and so I think wheat grain and corn and fructose are the primary uh, contributors to that. So I like to bring people's attention to that right away. 
And then on the substitute sugars, I'm on the fence about stevia. You know, my understanding is there's over 40 steps of processing, but uh, at least the research I've come across, it's not uh, a villain yet. So I'm okay with stevia at the moment. Monkfort seems okay. The ones I don't like are going to be erythritol because it's typically corn-based, definitely not sucralose. Uh, sucralose, uh, I believe we came upon that based on a pesticide that would attract bugs and cause their intestines to explode. And some genius said, well, humans are bigger and our guts won't explode, but it's a zero calorie sweetener. Uh, so I know too much sucralose typically can lead to GI disruption. Um, aspartame, uh, I think, can cause seizures in some people and, and potentially cancer, same thing with saccharin. Uh, so I t- actually tell my clients, if you have to choose between one of those zero calorie sweeteners that are harmful, I'd rather you just do cane sugar mm-hmm. uh, when, when choosing products. So probably the next question you get, because I know I do it when I'm every day in clinic, when I, you know, when you tell clients to stop eating sugars and grains and, you know, wheat and all this stuff, there's, they're going to ask, well, then what do I eat? Uh, yeah. so, so what do you tell them? What you mentioned the, the no-go list, what's, what's on the yes list? Yeah. So as part of the course, I have a substitution list, uh, but I also tell all my clients and on the podcast and as many people as possible, what are some viable substitutions? Cause I, I think with any habit, if you just take it away and you don't replace it with something, it's tough to keep. Uh, there's some amazing companies out there um, that make actually good tasting replacements that didn't used to be there. Like I love the brand Siete, spelled like the number seven in Spanish. They're using cassava flour. Now it's still high in carbs, but it's a better uh, grain and a better hormonal effect on the body. So, uh, you know, if you want your chips and cookies and snacks, I think Siete is a good brand. There's cereals that are grain free, such as Forager, Paleo Crunch, Catalina Crunch, uh, there's a bunch of options out there now. Purely Elizabeth has some. Um, and then if I, if we do bread, I, I try and urge people to go to, towards sourdough bread because the fermentation process of sourdough is going to break down some of the harmful effects of that lectin protein and some of the concerns I have. So I try and give alternatives. And I also don't encourage people to wipe the whole no-go list in one go. Again, I don't think that'll last. Um, you know, maybe when you take that quiz, you'll see a gravitation to one area of health that needs the most attention. I would start there, um, and then go, go on from there. Okay. Uh, and so next on your, on your course is stress and sleep. Um, you know, this probably goes without saying, uh, uh, my listeners have probably heard, uh, heard me talk about this at nauseum, but, uh, so what, you know, just what, what do you tell your clients, to their how to improve stress and so if they're not sleeping well and and they're stressed all the time what are some of your tips that you give to improve that i always start with circadian rhythm uh, and not yeah the knowledge about how blue light affects Mm -hmm. us Uh, you know our brains take in blue wavelength light they think it's sun so we get an up uh, tick in norepinephrine and adrenaline and awake hormones um, plus, you know, uh, there's the dopamine response uh, in, in this kind of seeking uh, response with scrolling, likes, social media, and things like that. So trying to create a buffer between bedtime and exposure to these types of things, including uh, LED lights in the house. Um, 
when I first got into this, I thought a lot of the things that helped with this were nonsense uh, and hippie, not, you know, just outrageous stuff. But then I tried them and they all seemed to have at least a minimal effect that improved my sleep quality. Uh, I got one of those uh, Himalayan pink sea salt lamps because it's a really soft glow. And we switched to that at night. I have a regular table lamp with a normal light bulb, but then at night we switched to the Himalayan pink sea salt lamp at least 30 minutes before bed. That's our only light source and that helps calm the body down because you stop that intake of blue wavelength light that comes from screens, overhead lights and things like that. Um, and then I also talked to them about getting exposure to sunlight in the morning, because that could potentially increase their vitamin D, which is your precursor to serotonin, which is your precursor to melatonin. Mm -hmm. um, so correcting that cycle. Uh, deep breathing, I love Epsom salts because of the magnesium relaxing and, the, and then that temperature change of a hot bath before bed, the body has to thermoregulate. And when we have a drop of at least four degrees of internal temperature, we have this natural release of melatonin that can help us sleep. Um, so that breathing techniques, meditation, stretching, uh, just trying to declutter the back end of their day so they can start to wind down. Okay. Yeah. All good stuff. Next on your list is the microbiome. And yeah. so uh, talk about that and maybe the importance of that in overall health and especially you know, weight loss. Sure. Uh, so come to find out we're actually more bacteria than we are human. And we have uh, all these different uh, gut bugs in, in our stomachs that uh, actually can, can drive different hormones, serotonin levels, what foods we like. Uh, it could change acuity uh, to, to taste and smell a little bit as we overgrow or, or grow certain populations of some bugs and species versus others. Um, so if we're not taking care of our microbiome, I think it's going to be harder uh, to say no to the bad foods. So if we have a candida overgrowth because we have a lot of sugar-loving bacteria in our gut because that's what we eat, we're going to prefer those things and it's going to be less appealing and appetizing to have something like spinach or celery because we don't have the gut buddies to help break those guys down. Um, so just understanding that balance, I think is really, really important. Um, I talk a lot about NSAID use and, and antibiotic use and how it's kind of like napalm and, you know, broad spectrum antibiotic like amoxicillin or a ZPAC can wipe out your microbiome for almost two years before you can completely repopulate it. Um, and I know, especially with babies and kids, early onset of microbiome, you could set them up for a lot of autoimmune issues later on in life. Uh, so I was just trying to give a lot of education about that. And I think the best combatant is to have the, as much diversity in plant-based foods. Um, I'm definitely a meat eater, meat eater uh, but also uh, the plant-based foods are extremely important because the non-digestible fibers and plants serve as prebiotic fibers for probiotics. Uh, so I think our best defense to increase the healthy populations is to try as many different types of vegetables and plant-based things as possible, okay. not just quantity. You bet. Uh, and you talk about uh, fats and oils. Uh, we've, we've mentioned the vegetable oils a little bit. And, and again, my listeners have heard me talk about that before, but what do you tell people about the fats and oils? Sure. So the, the, in the processing, sometimes they add hexane, which is a component of diesel fuel. There's mechanically treated, they're heat treated. Uh, all these different things change the molecular structure of them. And when it gets into our system, one of the main side effects that's a concern for me and my clients is that you can lose up to 90% of the blood vessel's ability to dilate. And if it's lost its elasticity, uh, then it's going to put more blood pressure on the arterial wall 
which is then going to damage it. And then cholesterol, which is actually the good guy, uh, is sent in to fix it. But we have this overmobilization of cholesterol when there's too much sugar sticking to the proteins and too much damaging oils, um, not allowing them to expand properly. Um, so uh, I also like to use the analogy of varnish, which is, I think, 90% vegetable oil or something high like that. And it pre creates that protective hardened coating on wood. Uh, it can sort of do something similar to our blood vessels with that rigidity. Um, so, so I try and steer them away from those. And then we talk a lot about how long oil has been treated. So if we, let's just say we were to use peanut oil, which is a better oil, but not the best. Uh, let's, you know, um, some restaurants use that when we use it, we use it once and we discard it, but restaurants will continue heating and reusing that for up to a month sometimes before they change it out. And it just becomes more and more oxidized. Um, so I try and educate them about that as well. Yeah. So when people ask about eating out, because I get this question and, and obviously, yes, restaurants use a lot of vegetable oils, but people are going to eat out, you know, so, yeah. so when they do, what are some tips that you give to keep people kind of on the straight and narrow when they're eating out at a restaurant? Sure. Uh, I try to give them better alternatives such as Chipotle. Uh, now, as a health food, I don't know, but it's, it's probably better than Burger King. Uh, so I think, I, I think that's a good option. Uh, if they go to a, you know, an alehouse, a bar, something like that, uh, you can almost always order grilled chicken, grilled chicken wings. Uh, when I get wings at a restaurant, uh, I get them grilled and I ask if there's something house made where they know what kind of oils they are. And a lot of restaurants will have like, uh, there's a bar I go to, Brewster's Bar in Cary, and uh, they do, it's honey and sriracha sauce uh, and, and there's no harmful oil in it. So I'll order that. Um, you know, if, if there's an option to cook something differently, I do. I try and avoid cream sauces. I swap out my sides at a restaurant and I just try and go for grilled proteins. Mm -hmm. um, it's very doable to eat reasonably healthy. You know, it's probably not grass fed organic, but mm -hmm. it's at least it's not deep fried in something awful. Right. Yeah. And then what do you recommend for people to cook with? Cause I, you know, you know, preach about vegetables as well. I tell them if you have any in the house, throw them in the trash can. Uh, what do you tell people to, to cook with? I think the most accessible are going to be uh, olive oil, coconut oil, and avocado oil. Um, so that's what I typically steer people toward. Mm -hmm. And then I let them know that olive oil probably has a lower smoke point. So mm -hmm. you, you're yep. higher yep. heat cooking, use, use something different. But, but I think those are what most people can find. Macnut oil, some people like, um, and there's mm -hmm. others. There's charts out there that help you figure it out. I know Dr. Catherine Shanahan has an amazing chart that uh, red, yellow, greens it. If you check out her, her uh, fat blog is pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. I, I recommend usually butter. Butter is very uh, yeah. I mean, re real butter, not the fake yeah. stuff, but uh, yeah, if it's grass fed or, or ghee, yep. Uh, yep. which doesn't ghee, have the yep, lactose, yep. Absolutely. which I, I actually don't like the taste of ghee. So, oh, really? um, so personally, that's just personal preference. Yeah. Although vital farms has a pretty decent one with Himalayan pink sea salt. Um, so I typically go for coconut oil, avocado oil most of the time, mm -hmm. but that's just preference. Okay. Uh, and so last on your list is supplements. And so what, what's your recommendation as far as supplements? Sure. Uh, I think most of the ones in the grocery store are nonsense. Uh, I think you'll get some benefit, but if you look at a Centrum 50 plus, it's got hydrogenated oils, which causes heart disease. It's got red number five, blue number one uh, in, a, in a vitamin, in a health supplement, which just blows my mind. Uh, I do think there's some good ones out there. I usually steer people towards Thorne Research, 
Designs for Health, Claire Labs. Uh, there are some good companies out there. Um, on the course, there's actually a free section, if you, even if you don't buy the course, where I give all my recommendations and what to look for in a multi. So for B12, I want to see that it's methylated, methylcobalamin, not cyanocobalamin. Uh, I want to see folate, not folic acid. Uh, I like to look at the fillers, make sure there's not rice and all kinds of other nonsense in it, in the capsule itself. Um, but uh, And I don't like to see a lot of oxides. So those are kind of what I tell them for multi. And then the supplements that I think most everybody would benefit from is L-glutamine, uh, fish oil, um, and magnesium. So I have pretty much, I would feel comfortable recommending that to anyone unless their doctor told them a specific reason not to. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh- my top two are uh, vitamin D and magnesium probably. And then if you want to take a good multivitamin, fine, there's a million, you know, you can go crazy with supplements. Obviously there's so many out there and a lot of them are beneficial. Uh, but I feel like vitamin D and, uh, and magnesium are kind of the, the basics. There's so many people that are magnesium or excuse me, vitamin D deficient, well, and magnesium deficient, but that's harder to check. But, um, vitamin D is easy to check. And so I would really encourage people, uh, again, this is nothing new to my listeners, but you know, when you go to your doctor, get your vitamin D level checked. Um, but then you got to know how to treat it, uh, because most, uh, I'm not meaning to bash providers, but I mean, most people are looking at that and saying, oh, your vitamin D is low. You need to take 3000, 5,000 IUs a day. And that's just not going to cut it when your vitamin D is really low. You got to be really, really aggressive in, uh, in getting that up. So, so we're real aggressive on that, but those are my two big ones, vitamin D and magnesium. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, and I, I've seen some, not enough to completely sway me, but I've seen some research with concerns of the forms of vitamin D out there, uh, potentially being cancer causing and things like that. And there's another camp out. And again, I'm not dogmatic, but there's another camp out there that also feels that if you work more on your ability to absorb vitamin D than just replacing vitamin D, where then that's where the magnesium and gut health can really mm-hmm. come into play. Uh, so I don't know. I'd be curious to know what you've heard as far as the harmful effects of uh, some of the vitamin D, the cola, cassiferol, I can't remember the exact form. Um, you know, are there concerns with that? Is it just uh, a faction that, that doesn't have a lot of uh, support under it? What do you think? Yeah, I'm not. Uh, so I always recommend the D3 rather than the D2. So as far as the D3 and studies, I haven't seen any studies. Um, now I'm there may be something out there about any harmful effects of that. Uh, what I what I have seen from a clinical standpoint, um, as it relates to to COVID, uh, if your <laughs> vitamin D levels are really healthy, I mean, and people have heard me talk about this before, but I mean, you're you know you're going to do fine with COVID. There was uh, actually a study came out that validated that if your vitamin D levels over fifty, you have a mortality rate of zero, um, and and so. Um, the, the benefits, in my opinion, the benefits of vitamin D and, and higher, not just quote normal, but kind of higher ends of normal, you know, optimal, uh, far outweigh any potential risks of, of, you know, of vitamin yeah. D. So. Yeah. Especially if you're not like hyperdosing with it. Yeah. Um, and then I've also heard, you know, if it's paired with K2, it's better absorbed. Ab- absolutely. So. It is. Yes. And, and magnesium is another one that, that helps it. It's kind of a cofactor vitamin K2 helps it be absorbed. Yep. Yeah, all those are important. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Cool. Well, okay. Well, uh, tell us, so you, you have a podcast, um, it's called, uh, the fire within podcast. So yeah, fire tell within us some, nutrition and fitness. There you go. Okay. So when did you start that? Tell us about that. 
obviously you talk about health and nutrition, but, but uh, just kind of talk about, you know, maybe some of the guests you've had and, and what people can uh, hear going forward, maybe on some of your shows. Sure. Yeah. I started about two years ago and the premise behind it is this idea of transformation, personal transformation. Uh, my, you know, the fire within my, my um, logo, there's actually a, a Phoenix hidden in it and, uh, or a firebird, And it goes through this process where it turns to ash and then rises anew. And I think everybody in some way can do that. It doesn't have to be like, I lost 84 pounds. It could be a mindset change. It could be a health change. It could be fixing your blood work. Um, so, um, every guest I have, or even if it's a solo cast, I try and, and, uh, I ask them about what was that transformative moment for you specifically. Um, and with every guest, the last three questions or the last question is what were the top three things you would tell somebody, uh, to get them started with a health change. And I've had doctors, I've had, uh, I had a really cool guest. It was a para Paralympian who, um, couldn't walk. And uh, she woke up at 13 years old, couldn't walk and um, kind of dealt with it, learned to play basketball in a wheelchair, represented the United States in the Olympics in wheelchair basketball, and then freaking learned to walk after that. It was amazing. Uh, so she was fun. I have doctors, dietitians, uh, functional doctors, people with amazing transformations. I had somebody that lost, you know, 80, 90 pounds. Uh, I had somebody uh, who got his A1C down from above 15.5. He doesn't know how high it was because it was above what the scale measures. And he got it down to 5.9 uh, in less than a year using natural remedies, no medications, no metformin. I even had a financial advisor come on and talk about financial health because that all plays into this. Um, so just anything, uh, you know, emotional eating specialists, just trying to get gather as much information, tips and things for people to improve their lives. Very nice. Well, as we wrap up here, uh, I always ask my guests if they could um, leave us with one health tip that would make us healthier today. Uh, what would you say to that? I would say any kind of movement you can get in, especially if it's early in the morning. I used to joke and say, get a dog. because <laughs> You got to walk the things. You're going to be out in the morning. Uh, right. They're going to help regulate your circadian rhythm. Uh, you get oxytocin exchange from them. You know, you get that uh, sense of, of companionship. I think it, it lowers blood pressure. So if it's in the cards for you to get a dog, get a dog, but they can also be a pain in the ass. And if you get a bad one, it's, it's not fun, <laughs> but, but, but I think movement, uh, does a lot. Uh, I think most of our orthopedic issues and all kinds of things are from lack of movement. Um, you know, I'm even, uh, started starting to grow on me, this idea that there is no bad posture. It's just, if you don't move, uh, that's what's problematic. But, but I, I think uh, finding something, uh, whether it's a group, I know pickleball is huge now. We just did a pickleball podcast. If it's walking, um, but I think that could make a huge difference and spur a lot of other behavior changes. Okay. Yep. Great advice. Uh, all right. So for people to find you, they can go to fire within NF, which is nutritionandfitness.com. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Yeah, so firewithinnf.com, and they can find your services there, your podcast there. It looks yep. like you've even got some recipes there. The, the course that, that we kind of talked about a little bit is there, so everything is there. Uh, any other way people can get a hold of you? Are you on social media, anything like that? Yep, I'm on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok, all those things. Um, also, the podcast is on every major carrier, Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Transistor FM, Amazon, whatever. Uh, so we're out there. 
And uh, if anybody has questions, I'd love to talk with them. Um, my number's up there. I'll take it through a consult if they like. And I, I really appreciate you having me on the show. All right. Well, I appreciate your time. So, Mr. Brandon Woolley, we appreciate it. And uh, appreciate everyone listening as always. And I always throw this out there every now and then. Uh, please go to uh, uh, Apple Podcast or wherever and throw some reviews uh, out there for me. So um, we will talk to everybody next time. Thank you for listening to Fit RX. I invite you to share this with friends and family. If you would like, you can check out our website at vibrantlifedc.com or you can email me at drgreg@ at vibrantlifedc.com.